Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Before we get started, I wanted to recommend to you a classic in our Christian Heritage series, Vindicii Contra Tyrannos by Junius Brutus, with a fantastic introduction from Glenn Sunshine, author of Canon's Slaying Leviathan. In 1572, Roman Catholic soldiers slaughtered thousands of French Huguenots for their Protestant faith. This calamity forced many Protestants to ask whether taking up arms against a king was even lawful. Many Christians thought that even in the case of persecution, kings had absolute power and lesser magistrates had no right to resist them. This little book is a powerful tract that makes a case for why Christians can sometimes lawfully resist and fight against tyrants and persecutors of the faith. The apostles told the Jews that they needed to obey God rather than man when it came to the gospel, and to this day, many Christians need to be reminded that men only derive their power from God, and there are indeed times when resisting the authorities may be lawful and even biblically required. This tract is thoroughly biblical and a great testament to the courage and convictions of our fathers in the faith. You can get that book today at canonpress.com. So welcome to the podcast. This is episode 192. My name is Douglas Wilson, and you are welcome aboard. Uh, it's good to have you here. So last time I talked a little bit about our legal system and how the Constitution works, how written constitutions work. But I want to talk also, I, I want to extend our, our lesson in civics this way. A lot of people don't know how our legal system works. They don't know They've not had a course in civics, meaning they don't know how a bill becomes a law. But more than that, what I want to address this time is they don't know how when an unconstitutional bill becomes an unconstitutional law, how do we go about trying to get that fixed? What's the process for challenging an unconstitutional law? Here's the thing, and this is another bit of trouble for the people who want to absolutize in a wooden sort of way what Romans 13 is talking about. Let's say that the president, I use ludicrous examples so that you can see the principle involved, not that I'm accusing anybody of this, but let's say that the president signed an executive order requiring everyone who uses the federal highway system while on a federally built road to wear a pink beanie, okay? He's got to wear a pink beanie as long as he's driving on a federal highway. Now, suppose you say, that's ridiculous. He doesn't have, and okay, of course, it would be. And you would say, he doesn't have the authority to do that. And that's true too. He doesn't have the authority to do that. So you march down to the local courthouse because you've got a lot of time in your hands and extra money, and you file suit against the president for doing this. Well, here's the problem. You can't file suit. You don't have standing, okay? Especially if, if you're cooperating with the law, uh, if you're obeying the law, 
but you say this is an unconstitutional law, and so I want to challenge it, you'll be frog-marched to the curb, and you will not be allowed to do anything because you don't have standing. You don't have standing unless and until you disobey it. So, let's say you're driving down a federal highway and you're wearing a blue beanie in defiance of the pink beanie executive order, and you get pulled over by a state trooper, and he writes you a ticket for wearing a blue beanie instead of a pink beanie, and you are charged, okay? And let's say you are charged and there's a $300 fine and you ask for a jury trial and we're off to the races. Now, you now have standing, but what this means is that in order to interact with an unconstitutional law, you have to act like it's an unconstitutional law first. You're not allowed to walk down to the courthouse and get them to change the unconstitutional law and then go out and live the way you were. You've got to, in the teeth of the law, live the way you were doing before, and then when you are arrested or charged or fined, then you have, you have grounds to be a challenger. You've got standing, you've got grounds to be a disputant in the fight. So, for example, you might be familiar with this in uh, back in the early part of the 20th century when Tennessee passed, or, or um, it was in Tennessee, I'm not sure if it was a local or a state law, they, they prohibited the teaching of evolution in the public school there. And so the ACLU couldn't g- just go file suit and say, you can't do that. What they needed to do is they needed to get a case. So they got a high school teacher named Scopes. This is the Scopes monkey trial. And they got a high school teacher named Scopes to disobey the law. And when he disobeyed the law, then there was a trial and they could challenge that. Now they can challenge. Now, this is not a bug. This is a feature. This is the way it works. So when someone comes down with some outrageous nonsense, you know, where they say, you're the turtle, I'm, I'm on top of the stack. I can tell everybody what to do. I can tell you to wear a mask. I can tell you to lock down. I can tell you to go here. I can tell you to go there. I've got complete control over you. You need to act as though that's false. First, you get to act that way as though it's false because it is false. And secondly, if you are challenged or arrested or charged, now you're in a position to fight. And when you fight, doing it this way, you are fighting legally. There's nothing untoward about what you're doing. There's nothing illegal. There's nothing insubordinate. There's nothing you're you're disobeying a particular law, but you're disobeying that particular law because you believe that that particular law is being disobedient. So, that's the basic setup. So, continuing on with podcast 192, we now come to the place where I say, welcome to our hamartiology lab. Uh, This is where we dissect various words in the New Testament that describe our sins. And the word this week is dialogismos, dialogismos, which can be rendered as thoughts or imagination or reasoning. Now, like last week, this is a word which can refer to activities that are entirely innocent and to activities that are, you know, not. Because this is Hamartiology 101, we're just going to be focusing on those things which are sinful. In the New Testament, there are a bunch of uses. I'll point to a handful of them. 
But there are a bunch of uses of this word in the New Testament where it's not sinful at all. For example, in several places, this word is used and rendered as simply thoughts, but they are indicated as clearly sinful by the adjective evil that is attached to the thoughts. So you could use this word to talk about someone standing there on the street corner alone with his thoughts. This is the word you'd use. He's alone with his thoughts or he's just standing there thinking. Uh, but Jesus, in Matthew fifteen nineteen and in Mark 7, 2, he says this, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Two words there. He's got an adjective and uh, the noun. Proceed evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, and so on. So, there, the word thoughts, which is dialogismos, is innocent, but not when you attach the adjective to it. And sometimes, you can tell that it's sinful by the context. So, for example, 1 Corinthians 3.20 says, And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts, there's our word, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. So, wise men are wise men according to us, you know, wise men, humanly speaking. Uh, their thoughts are vain, so we can see that their their thoughts are sinful, futile. Or Luke 9.46, then there arose a reasoning among them, and the reasoning there is our word, dialogismos, then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. So this is the dispute among the disciples about who's going to be the, the king of the apostles after Jesus is gone, or when Jesus is done with him. And, of course, that was a sinful dispute, sinful reasoning. Also, this is, this is near the end of the three years where, that Jesus had spent with them, and, and Jesus, uh, they're walking behind Jesus on the road, and Jesus asks them, what were you talking about on the road? And they all sheepishly, you know, dig a little divot with their toe. They're sheepish because they know that, they know that the thing that they were debating was something that would cause Jesus to, uh, to admonish them, right? But it was reasoning, dialogismos, that uh, got them there. So the reasoning that they're undertaking is simply reasoning, but the subject made it cockeyed. The fact that they were, they were disputing uh, who would be the greatest. In one place, the word is rendered as imaginations. And again, the context makes it sinful. Uh, Romans one twenty one, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, there it is, became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And in a handful of places, the word is translated as something that has something wrong with it at the heart. In Romans, the word is rendered as doubtful, modifying disputations. So, uh, in Romans 14.1, him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. And the, the adjective there, doubtful, is our word. So, don't receive someone into the faith in order to have gnat-strangling controversies with him. Then in Philippians, the word is translated as ungodly, disputing. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Disputings is the word. So, do all things without murmurings and disputings, Philippians 2.14. And in Timothy, as doubting. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So, reasoning, imagination, doubting, it all depends. You, you can't say that this word by itself is uh, sinful, but it frequently is. Let's go. 
All right, so we're continuing episode 192, uh, and this is the podcast, right? So I want to uh, review a book, uh, an odd book. You might be surprised that I'm reviewing it, but the book is by Dale Carnegie, and it's How to Win Friends and Influence People. So uh, I was in a recent conversation with a, um, a student here at New St. Andrews, and um, he found out, I forget how it came up, but he found out that I had never read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And he was astonished because he had, he, he had really profited from it. I always uh, regarded it as sort of a glad-handing salesman's book, which some of it is. But I thought, uh, so I took this, uh, and, and then the student was dismayed enough at, by my ignorance that he showed up a week or so later at my office and gave me a copy of the book. And I took this as uh, guidance or inspiration, and I, I at least ought to listen to it. So I, I didn't read his uh, hard copy, but I got a copy of it on uh, Audible and, and list, gave it a listen. And it was pretty good. It was really quite good. Now, there, I said earlier that it's sort of like a, it's a relic from another era. That's the first thing. It's early, mid-20th century sorts of examples. It's a different world than the one we inhabit now, but a lot of American traits, particularly in the business world, were shaped and directed and and molded by Dale Carnegie's approach. And it's not the case, and and this is um, important to emphasize, he's not just saying, uh, you know, grin at people and fake it. You know, he says, you've really got to, you've really got to, care about them. You've got to really be interested in serving them. He has a lot of helpful tips for defusing controversies, for making a sale where the person is resistant to a sale, the sorts of things that you would say, oh, that that makes sense, or that's common sense. People, People don't like being challenged. They don't like being flattered either with a bunch of oily flattery. And he he. He does quite a good job in steering a middle course between, you know, just being your own belligerent self and wondering why you never make any sales. And then on the other hand, putting on a smarmy front and pretending that you like people when you don't like them at all. That's no good either, right? So Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was easy to get through, a lot of practical tips, a lot of helpful things. Now, it's not a Christian book, but much of it is not inconsistent with Christian principles. This is all tips. This is all advice. There's no power of the Holy Ghost in it to help you do what the right thing is. But I think for a Christian who does have the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling him, and he sees, you know, I really ought to interact with my kid that way more. Or I really ought to interact with my employees that way more, because I can see how right and how biblical this is. You can then draw on the power of the Holy Spirit, which Carnegie doesn't talk about at all, in order to do what you know to be uh, the right thing. Mm-hmm. 